a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Greetings, friends. Greetings. Hello. What are you guys drinking this week? Oh, I'm drinking a uh, Perfection Cider from Lance Chance Cider Mill. Oh, mm. oh, nice. The Billings Local. Those guys are so good. Seriously. They are so good. And, you know, Pear is one of those that I'm kind of iffy about when mm-hmm. it comes to alcohol. But let me tell you, this is stellar. This my, is good. My favorite pear cider they make is called the Pippin. It's a very dry cider. Ugh, oh, it's delicious. You said the Pippin? The Pippin, yes. Try that one next. Is that from Last Chance in Billings? It is, yeah. Ooh, I haven't tried that one. I'm so glad that they can now because on my trip back the other month, I totally brought some back. And Mm -hmm. that was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I love that when a brewery does that. It's very good. Good soup. Um, I'm drinking two drinks this week. Um, because I made my first drink and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to power through that. (laughs) Hey, that's my role to fisting it. Um, so my first drink, I made a mocha in my house. <laughs> mocha in my house. Okay. Like I didn't go to a coffee shop. Like I did it at oh. home. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's not the name of a drink. No. Okay. But I used this like special sipping chocolate that one of my employees got me as a present. And it's like a single origin craft chocolate oh. from oh, Belize. Wow. Like it's only from Belize. And it is delicious on its own. And uh, last week I actually did like a hard drink with it. Like I made a hot chocolate and put some mezcal and cinnamon in it. And that Mm -hmm. turned out really good. Totally. This is my first time doing it with coffee and with a really good high quality milk. And let me tell you what, it is delectable. Nice. Oh, yes. What's your second Um, drink? My second drink. (laughs) I was like, you know what? I'm going to be caffeinated. I know Steven's drinking. I might as well drink too, I guess. I bet Emma was going to. So I made myself a mezcal with ginger beer and uh, like a splash of lime. And it is very refreshing. I'm very uh, excited to drink that one. Stellar. Nice. I made a key lime LaCroix margarita tonight. Yeah. Mm, yeah, but you pre-gamed. I did. <laughs> yeah. I messed up our recording time. So we're, we record over two different time zones. And very often in the group chat, if we say five... Some of us are very guilty of making assumptions about which five that means. And today it was my turn to assume it was five Mountain Standard and oh, not no. Pacific. So I had a drink made an hour ago. And as I was making it, I was like, uh, why not? Um, so I was, as I was making my margarita, I just took a shot of tequila. And I was like, let's get frisky with it. And then, and then I looked at the text and I was like, well, dang it. <laughs> it's in an hour. <laughs> So I finished that first drink, and then I made a second one. <laughs> oh, darn. So I'm That's very... what I did last week with my Mezcal hot chocolate. I was so excited to talk about it. <laughs> I'm very, yeah, I'm very uh, pre-gamed at this point. So but we'll see how we this are. goes. 
Sweet. Well, I'm kind of sad that it's not your episode, but I think it'll still be fun. Uh, this week's my episode, and I kind of want to return to a question that I teased. I think it was on my last episode, the last time we rolled a dice, because I couldn't decide. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I am really intrigued by the idea in the question of whether or not a church or religious community either does change with technology slash culture, or if it, if it even should in the first place. Like, this is kind of going off of a couple episodes that are like in the back of my mind that we've done. Like, one, our episode with Kevin, aka Danger, where we talked about like the use of fog machines in church. And like, obviously, we talked about more in there. But ever since that episode, I've been really intrigued by the idea of like just interrogating that, like whether or not technology should change or like be changed by religion like i just like kind of want to understand the, mm. that relationship mm. a little bit better but then i'm also intrigued by this point that we touched on in Stephen torna's episode about depolarizing christianity and he brought up the orthodox church and how the orthodox church totally has this long-form view of christianity that more or less does not change and catholicism a little bit but i, I think you could easily argue that the orthodox are more static mm. So that's kind of like where I'm starting. So I just love your thoughts. Like, what do you think about the relationship between technology, religion? Does one change the other? Is there like a back and forth relationship? Like, yeah. What do you think? I'm really curious to know what Emily thinks being a mainline uh, denomination pastor, because I think even the divide in American churches between things that are typically expressed as more evangelical or even you know, evangelically non-denominational. Like even my last church context was the mega church with the uh, the big screen where the guy was preaching from an eight-hour drive away in the in the central campus, and we had mm. all sorts of live streams and all sorts of fancy videos and sounds and mm-hmm. and all that. So that's that's one side of it that I could probably speak to a bit. But Emily, being the the mainline representation here. Do you sometimes feel uh, mm, plagued isn't the right word for it, but do you ever feel, I don't know, hemmed in or something by like modern opinions of mainlines kind of becoming outdated and just old, frankly? That's a good question. Well, it's interesting because I think it depends on which denomination you're talking about. Like... From my perspective, I would say the United Methodist Church is a denomination that, although is vastly different culturally, um, you know, around the world, especially, I think technologically, the UMC is growing and is exploring how technology can actually help us grow, Mm -hmm. but also being cautious of how it can hinder Mm. church life um so like for example the church that i'm serving at currently we have been using technology so much more than we had in the past a big part of that was because of covid when our church door was closed obviously we didn't want to just stop services so that meant we had to record and we had to upload and then that had to be available for people And for those who do not utilize internet or have email, we 
made it an effort to record those services onto a DVD, and then we would deliver those DVDs to members wow. who had DVD players, which was really cool. I actually really enjoyed that. That's pretty quick um, adaptability. But on even your that's part. kind of analog now. Yeah. Is right. Right. Just even saying DVD and analog together in the same yeah. sentence seems bizarre. <laughs> but I think... Back in my day, I, I used to rewind my VHS with a number two pencil. <laughs> <laughs> what's a VHS? No, just kidding. Um, you know what's funny is when people think of technology in church, the first thing they think of, and it's, they're in the right, absolutely, is music. But there's so mm. much behind technology in church that is not seen. So like our church software, we actually have software that manages like our attendance, our giving, who our members are, keeping their addresses and points of contact up to date. That's how I plan worship. I can like plan ahead and put in you know, what the prayers are, who my readers are, when's communion, what the songs are, who's playing, all of that. And when those things are not up to snuff, you think, oh my gosh, I can't do my job. But then I remember I have a handy dandy pen and paper and I can write this stuff down and that works just as good. Uh, but it is a breeze knowing that there is just one site that all of my staff have access to rather than doing snail mail or email chains for that matter. You know, if my secretary has a question of, hey, who's my who's the reader for Sunday rather than sending me an email and asking me, she can just log on to this website and it's right there up to date for her. I think the use of technology can help a church grow in that sense. And then the other side where we have to be cautious about how it hinders us is here's a prime example. And this is it didn't even cross my mind until it happened. Our conference for voting and delegation and things like that was online this year, again, because of COVID. And so we have someone who monitors Robert's laws and we ensure that we're by the book and whatever. So it was brought to our attention that. When people were calling the question, they thought, oh, this is just a means of speeding up the process so we can vote on things quicker. Well, actually, what that was doing was silencing people's voices so we could no longer discuss the issue. And it was brought to our attention that that was happening, unfortunately, with people of color or other minorities being silenced. Uh, those who were calling the question were people of power, people of privilege. Uh, people of the majority. And so this technology, unfortunately, allowed this to happen a lot more than it would if we were meeting in person, because people had the ability to mute mics. People had the ability to turn off cameras. Mm. You know, people had the ability to, if they really wanted to, access voting codes and then use people's codes to vote. Not that that happened, although... <laughs> There has been some speculation that that happened at general conference with the Whoa. big pivotal vote. Yeah. Um, people who were voting that weren't allowed to vote or weren't supposed to, but they did. Huge controversy. But that right there is just an example of how technology can hinder the church. At the UMC conference. It, yeah, exactly. Wow. I didn't even think about technology being used in like official voting, etc. capacities. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, this platform that we used was great. It allowed the bishop, you know, to here's the question. And then, you know, we had to open up a box and then boom, like you could just vote right there and then, and then it tallied it after 30 seconds, the voting was closed and then they could read the results right away and blah, 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 and have all the statistics instantly. It was so amazing. Wow. But yeah, also very sad when you realized, oh, I could silence people with the mere click of a button or whatever the case may be. Literally and symbolically. Oof. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you brought up the music aspect. Like you just transported me back to like 2001. Oh my gosh. Okay. Maybe not that old. Actually, yeah, I guess we were using these. Uh, Like you reminded me of projectors. Uh, No. Mm. What, What are they called? transparencies do you remember those yes we still have one we still have one we don't don't use it as often but we still have one i remember growing up in church that was my job on sundays was to change the transparencies for (laughs) the words up on the screen wow you're a cool kid and then but then later that became powerpoint we had digital screens and or like you just reminded me of how like over the last year like especially with covid like everyone was live streaming and like Maybe that's going to keep up for some churches and maybe like some churches won't keep doing that. But you just made me think of like, what are we going to do when the first church is in the metaverse? Mm. Uh, Like, (laughs) is there there one? Is there a virtual reality church yet? Not that I'm aware of. I would. Yeah. Hard hard mm. to believe it doesn't exist already, though. That's what I was thinking. You would think it would. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's like lots of digital communities, like even we're kind of doing that a little bit in the discord like for mm-hmm. Patreon, but I mean, hey, we use technology. <laughs> yeah, um, we're enjoying the fruits of. But like to have like an actual like integrated VR church experience, like I really wonder if someone's done that yet. Mm. I didn't think about that until now. Could you imagine? You know, like my brother-in-law <clears throat> Tyler, he is big into like video games and things like that. Well, they have um. Through Assassin's Creed Valhalla, where it's one of the first and only games that is truly like non-combative, where you just kind of go at your pace and you can see what Norwegian Nordic life is like and incorporating like these mythologies into it, which is really cool. It makes me think and it's VR. It makes me think, could you imagine what it would be like to participate in church VR, like communion? Or hearing the sermon and like sitting in a pew, but you're really like lounging in your bed, but you are wearing the Oculus or whatever. Mm, like, right. that would just be so bizarre. Would it feel better than just a live stream or Zoom church? Maybe. Maybe. Could I preach and like just <laughs> be in the parsonage or like be wherever and just put on my Oculus and. And do like that would just be so bizarre to me, I would think. I don't know. I don't I kind of have mixed feelings about it now that I think about it. I mean, you already have <laughs> half the tech necessary with even the microphone you're using right now. Right. But like even like I recorded one sermon via video when I was traveling to officiate a friend's wedding in Sioux Falls and I wasn't gonna be in church that following Sunday. And even that felt so weird to me to like record a video sermon. And all through COVID, when our church was closed, I was in the sanctuary and I was preaching, but there was no one in the pews. And it just felt so weird having to just talk to a camera, but talk as if there were people there. Mm. To probably a lesser degree, I've had the same feeling like 
trying to create an intro for no normal people if my wife isn't doing the intro with me and like speaking to an empty room with this microphone imagining people are listening but not having any sort of feedback like it's different because you the three of us are on a call right now mm-hmm. and we get the feedback but when it's just one mic you're just like what am i even doing this feels weird <laughs> so Josh, the question is, should churches adapt with technology or evolve along with technology? Yeah, I guess so. Or maybe not even just should, but in what ways do they? And I kind of like your point, Emily, about like sometimes technology can be a hindrance. A, if it's like used wrongly or just like even incorrectly. Mm. Mm -hmm. Especially when the like the new car smell wears off the new technology. And it just oh, yeah. it just becomes the thing that we do. Like no one ever questions it after that, unless the new technology is here to replace it. Otherwise, it's like, well, I mean, we've always done our worship this way with the central campus doing the music along with us or whatever. And like it just becomes something we don't question. Yeah. And I guess I'm speaking in my previous context very heavily right now because it was like once technology became the thing that kind of cemented how it was going to happen across what 13 different cities. It was like, well, if Billings gets to be an exception, everyone else is going to start wondering why we don't make the other campuses do it that way. So we kind of just have to do it. And it became, it becomes very rigid and like it feels constraining. And I think that's, that's a primary way that tech can become a hindrance to what we're trying to accomplish in church. And honestly, it might even become a situation where you forget what you're trying to accomplish because of how flashy it becomes or how mm. good, how new and how good all the tech looks, feels, sounds, smells, whatever. I think it can also take away the interpersonal relationships that are made in church. And I think about, you know, visitation or like when I'm called to do pastoral visits, sometimes I'm guilty of like catching myself thinking, oh, wouldn't it just be so easy if we could just FaceTime? You know, because mm-hmm. then I can see the person, but then I don't have to be in the same room and I can be in the comfort of my home. They do and... it on better help for therapy. Why can't I do it as a pastor? Right. And then I and then I think about, you know, when Alex comes home and he complains about like telehealth and is like, it's just not the same. Like you can tell the person's not getting the same therapy that they would if they were meeting in person. And I think the same goes for pastoral care and just. Yeah interpersonal relationships that's because there's something sacred to like body to body to human mm-hmm. beings occupying each a other. space right exactly there's so much more to our you know what we call our five senses and when when we're in the same room like heck the three of us felt it when we made an episode of ravel in the same room like oh it yeah. was different mm-hmm. right yeah, so I, I, I especially think, and that's that's honestly one reason why I don't go to the church I used to go to, because eventually I just got to the point where, you know, it was kind of a a protest that I made early on, and then someone gave me at least a decent reason for why I should get over it, and then I did get over it, and then five years later I was like, I could be watching this on YouTube at home, or listen to the podcast tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, why the heck am I even here? If it's just going to be the one guy preaching from the one city that goes to 14 other places, I keep saying different numbers. Mm, I totally forgot you went to a satellite campus. Yeah. For five years. (laughs) Here's a thought. Do you think that Protestants, A, are more likely to adapt new technology 
or adopt it, I guess. Hmm. Uh, but if that is the case, are they, I want to ask like, why are they prone? But like, I have a hypothesis. I think Protestants are more prone to adopt new technology because they're trying to compensate the experience because that could be it. The majority of the Protestant experience is preaching a sermon. Like mm. with the sole exception of maybe like a couple mainline traditions, mm -hmm. but like compared to something like Catholic or Orthodox mass or even Episcopal mass, it's just like so much more of like an involved ingrained in-person experience that mm. really you can't just broadcast. Right. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of where my mind's at. Or like the, I really like that music example, Emily, because I was reminded of the, a friend asked me the other day about the Church of Christ, <laughs> and they wanted oh, to know if mm -hmm. it was a cult, because <laughs> oh, they didn't know much goodness. about it. And so I was explaining like, no, uh, they are definitely a Christian sect, but they're like famous for not having music in their services, because when they started as a movement, it was started by the circuit riders on the, I believe it was the West Coast. And mm -hmm. because it was mostly a movement of these itinerant preachers, they couldn't carry a lot with them. And the only music that was in churches at that time was piano, which is a definitely a technology. And they couldn't just lug around a piano. So they just like adapted their system to not include music. They would just sing or not sing. And then like fast forward to present day, like when it's not built around that circuit riding, they've just like kept that as the tradition and they haven't adopted music yet. Hmm. Which I think is fascinating, but like that's almost like a similar mindset, I think, to congregations that are very opposed to like bringing in contemporary music or drums. Like when I started drumming at my last church, there was definitely a lady at a church meeting. We were just talking about church meetings earlier, Emily. There was a lady <laughs> who uh, stood up and uh, called drumming the devil's music. Like she was obviously like super opposed to it, but like she was less prone to want a new technology as a part of the religious experience. She would hate me then since I play the <laughs> drums in worship. <laughs> oh, wait, do you really? At your church? I do, yeah. Oh, I had no idea. That's how <laughs> Emily and I met. We were in band together in high school. Oh. Yeah, yeah it was That's great. That's so funny. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like music is a great example. Well, and it is the thing we think about first, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like, even uh, speaking with Kevin about fog machines, like, that was a real thing I thought about, like... I I can't tell you how many fog machines I've like refilled with like special scented juice. Really? Um, mm. Wow. Yeah, they would choose different flavors, scents. I call them flavors. They they flavor. <laughs> they would choose I different. Fog. They would choose different flavored <laughs> fog juices depending on like what if it was Easter or Christmas or whatever. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm I can't serious. even imagine. Oh my. Yeah, really. Says the woman who wears a different color depending on what time of the year it is. Hey, oh. Okay, that roasted. Thank gotcha. you for thank you for calling me out on my BS. <laughs> well played, Josh. Which well we're played. still in a ordinary time, so reminding green me it that is. it's green. Green it is. <laughs> I rem I listened to that episode twice. <gasps> oh, good. Uh <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, do you think that there's any examples of the opposite, maybe, like where church somehow influences or impacts a new technology being born? Yes, yes. that 100% okay. exists. And Go, Stephen. I will tell you that the thing, Josh, I, th I feel like I educated you about this a few days ago, was the version Bible app was designed and, and is still oh, supported yeah. oh. by Craig Groeschel's Life Church. That's mm -hmm. true. 
Yeah, I did yeah. not know that. That app, they get to boast like some of the biggest download numbers on any app store ever. Mm-hmm. And they get to say that they have the most translated versions of the Bible in however many different languages available Which for free. Which is really impressive if you think about it. Seriously. That is incredible. It really is. It really and, is. And that was a church that was like, why isn't the Bible an app yet? At a certain time in history where it made sense to be on like the leading edge of technology in that way. In the same way, I will tell you that I, because I was embedded in this like satellite megachurch model for so long, we probably wouldn't have a technology like Zoom without early adopters of like satellite campus churches. Honestly, probably mm. even like, huh. hate to say it, someone like Mark Driscoll with Mars Hill was adopting technology that was able to live stream out very early on. Craig Rochelle was another big name for that. Rick Warren, for sure. Churches developed what has given us like the best of what we can get in uh, even technologies like here with Discord, like an ancestor of Discord is something that Rick Warren helped develop so that he his huge face could show up in 20 different buildings across the country. I never would have thought about that. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, also think about uh, like some of the early uh, radio preachers like Amy Simple McPherson, mm-hmm. the oh, founder yeah. of the Foursquare Church. Like she was a pioneer in radio and like, was one of the most successful people in it at first. And yeah, then there were like plenty of people who came after her too, but radio probably would not have gotten as big if it hadn't been for like some of the early radio preachers. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm, very, that's true. a really good example with video. I'd never thought about that. And Rick Warren was probably the wrong name. I think Craig Rochelle was actually one of the guys who was like the first to do the satellite campus thing. So mm. I, credit where credit's due, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. even if I think the model is slightly problematic. (laughs) Well, that's probably like pretty close to, uh, like something like the printing press. Oh, it wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily developed by the church, but like, yeah, the fact that like someone religious, like was a part of inventing it and like then impacted religion, but then that also accelerated its growth. Mm -hmm. Sure. So what do we, so like you guys just, you think about radio, you know, the topic of, uh, televangelists. Ah. And like I think of shows like 700 Club and things like that. Like where do like how do you all feel about that? Uh, how do I feel about it? I yeah, mean, like what like what are your thoughts on I mean, in some ways they're doing what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like they're with like a different medium. Right. Yeah. Different medium, different ideologies and opinions to be fair, but like mm-hmm. they're putting themselves out there in a technologically advanced way. Mm-hmm. expressing their thoughts and ideas about religion and their values and also asking for money support from their viewership <laughs> just like a patreon just like patreon um, like for all intents and purposes very similar i yeah. think right we are not doing anything new here other technologies i think of like i think of like the uh the legacy of just hospitals <laughs> oh say more well, so like as as far as I understand the history of like the Red Cross, it was like it was really people moved to like provide healthcare and provide medicine to people who couldn't have them. So like centralizing medicine in a certain spot and telling people like if you have an ailment, if you need treatment, come here. As far as I understand the history, that is that has Christian roots from the beginning. 
And this is why oh, yeah. this is why hospitals across the country are named like St. Jude's, St. Peter's, you know, St. Oh, Vincent's. yeah, look at like even like Billings Clinic originally was Deaconess Billings Clinic. It was started by deaconesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which so that starts as as far as I understand it, it was a Catholic movement mm-hmm. first and foremost. So it was like it was nuns volunteering their time and with whatever medical technology was available at the time, it was a place for them to go and provide care to the poor, the sick, the needy, the hungry. And then now you have a legacy of like St. Jude's Research Hospital, which is like the cutting edge of uh, working on issues with cancer in children and treating cancer in children and, you know, providing that service to people who need it most in a very scary time of their life. Like a famous hospital named after a saint. Yes, thank you. We'll take that as a legacy of Christianity, right? Like as as much as we mm. like to bring up the uh, the blights on Christian history, crusades being a, a really easy target. I mean, you could also argue that that was a misuse of technology, right? Like obviously the crusaders oh, sure. had like access to greater technology and power. Right, military might. Right. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, Keller's Couch. Yeah, it was the day before, and I, I remember telling Ryan, like, yeah, tomorrow's episode is canceled. And he's like, well, what happened? <laughs> I was walking in a corn maze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just the message I got from you, Stephen, was great. Hey, man, sorry we can't make it tomorrow. We're going to the ER. Dixie may have broken her ankle in a corn maze. <laughs> Not even the haunted one. Yeah, like, wow, <laughs> shit got real, huh? And now back to the conversation. So what do we do or how do we handle the conversation when we look at advances in technology and decrease in church involvement? Mm. You know, the churches are. Wow. They're they're on the social media. They're hyping up, you know, with uh, and you know stellar soundboard and sound equipment and music and video and whatever other flashy things you can think of and yet you know they're we're not reaching the young people or we're not reaching these people or whatever the case may be i get so tired of that like i i just get so frustrated with that like they think that technology is going to be the thing that brings people to church i feel like there's two schools of thought at the very least And I feel like this also applies to uh, several types of industry as well. I feel like there's the mindset of like, stay the same. Like we have to like give a consistent product and like it's reliable and people know what they're getting and it's going to always be the same. Like no matter where you go in the world, it's going to be this reading on this time of the year. 
no matter where you got buy a Starbucks Frappuccino, it's going to taste this way. You know, mm, like mm-hmm. consistency is key. Very little change over a long period of time, like built for long term growth. And then there's another side that, in my opinion, is more focused on the short term metric that encourages as much change with like whatever's like the most relevant, like like the seeker sensitive movement got really criticized for that. Or like everyone loves to talk about like what's relevant today. Like there's a whole magazine about Christianity and relevance right now. (laughs) And uh, I feel like that applies to technology as well. Like there's this mindset of like, well, if we build like the best possible thing that could exist right now, it will attract the most people. But to me, that seems really like centralized around the current moment. And I feel like that's probably its biggest pro and biggest con, right? Like, Mm. Like you brought up Driscoll a second ago, like that's part of how like he grew such a following at Mars Hill, according to that podcast, like he was drawing on a lot of new technology and doing a lot of things that other people were not doing at the time or were afraid to do, um, even if it was like more ideological than necessarily with technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like also didn't work out like the Orthodox Church still going. They never live streamed, did they? Or maybe they do, like maybe some, maybe they do live stream things. I don't actually know. But like when I think about like churches adopting technology, I definitely don't think of like the older ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking about, so uh, one of my favorite podcasts is 99% Invisible, where Roman Mars kind of dissects like the, the aspects of design that we probably mostly go unnoticed. That is to say like the art of architecture is 99% Invisible to us. So I'm thinking about like the priorities that are betrayed or the values that are betrayed by how you build your physical space, whether that be like with the technologies available. So I think of ancient cathedrals that are still standing. You know, I also think of the example Stephen Torna had of the Orthodox uh, Christian community in the Flathead Valley have plans of building a church in the Jocko Valley that with with the explicit intention that the artistry and the craftsmanship that goes into this church, this building will survive a thousand years, which is incredible. Mm. So, and and then I think about what values were being communicated to me as soon as I walked in the door at my old satellite campus church, versus getting a tour of Emily's church a few months ago. So the main difference is in my mind, like I walk into the mega church satellite and it's concrete floors. Uh, the sanctuary is very dark. The biggest thing in the room is the screen on which the preaching pastor will have his face projected onto it. Um, the stage is elevated. Oh gosh. What else? Like uh, there's no like food prep area. There's barely like a coffee bar at the place we were at uh, a couple bathrooms a couple small but very sparse rooms for what uh what they had as the children's ministry versus oh and also the pastor's office was like almost a literal closet with a desk in it um <laughs> versus getting a tour of Emily's church um Emily I will tell you you even had a better sound booth than my last church does Oh, so you're already thinking you're already even more advanced than that. But then you have a wow, mainline's making a comeback. Look at that. So but you do have, you know, nods to traditions like wooden straight pews, like cushioned pews, 
in my mind, what the the massive stained glass structure behind your pulpit mm. does mm-hmm. is it it intentionally draws the eye off the pastor and onto the you know what the 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 work of stained glass art that is meant to inspire awe and some sense of humility in the parishioner yeah. looking at it. Whereas in other places, like the biggest thing that's up there is like a video of the guy who's standing there, but now his face is mm, 40 feet tall. Sure. Right. Um, I also think about how you have an entire wing of your building dedicated to dining and kitchen. And you have a library in which people can study and check out multiple and very interesting books from the spines that I was able to read <laughs> when we recorded there. You have rooms yeah. uh, that are specifically dedicated to like a therapist's office. You have staff mm-hmm. offices. Your office is a lot more than any campus pastor I ever saw here in Billings have. I have a gumball machine in my office. Come on. <laughs> that might be a little too far out there for tech for church. I don't know. <laughs> that's, <gumball laughs> that's pushing it. That yeah. is over the line. Yeah. Stephen, I like your point about design because it, like you just made me think about the fact that like stained glass is an art and like lots mm. of church traditions do really embrace art and creativity as a mm-hmm. part of like whatever they want to call it, like the worship process, the religious experience. And then there's like a good handful of churches that just don't even think twice about art. Like oh, maybe yeah. your campus, maybe your old campus is a great example of that. Like I'm imagining like a bare bones, like almost tech office warehousey kind of vibe, like mm-hmm. no art. Literal, like and, yeah. literal plywood desk with a space to plug in your Mac. Oh my Incredible goodness. For the for you an know office. What's funny is like we think about the things that like draw our attention, like the stained glass, the the openness of the sanctuary, the colors, the art, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I appreciated while in seminary was we had a class that was dedicated to like tech and marketing and like how technology you know impacts spirituality blah 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 one of the things that i appreciated was our professor pointing out church websites and how they can Ooh. make or break a church wow and I, yeah that's I true never even i never even thought of it until i was sent to the church that i'm serving at now where if you search you know churches in cody cody nine methodist church is the first church that pops up mm-hmm. like for google maps and you would think it would be alphabetized or whatever. No, it's not. I don't ask why, but I think part of it is with the algorithm of the searches. Um, SEO, that, baby. Yeah. And I think it helps that the church website for my church is so easily accessible. And by accessible, I mean like it's easy to navigate. It's clear to the point, like even Stephen, I know you had said that you had appreciated the work that the most refreshing like about and like what we believe page that I've ever seen on a church website. It was so it was so welcoming and inclusive. And it wasn't like we believe that she was a literal virgin and we (laughs) believe that it's literally six thousand years. And like with the scripture references, like. Your website is so welcoming to like, yeah, we think God is something and that that something is worth following. <laughs> that's, that's, I was like, yeah. It's, it's I, phrased I can, much more eloquently it is. than that. Yeah, but I was like, I hey, I feel I feel like even if I have different opinions or something, like I can at least fit but in with these people. So, but that right but, there just tells me that if people come to my church website and they read that and they think, 
wow, that's so refreshing. Like that's one person that is potentially touched by mm-hmm. my church. Had no worked I on had, me. Had right in that, and like think about what technology could do if we just put in the time and effort to use it wisely and to use it the way it is intended and the way that is actually life giving. Put that on your bingo card. I said life giving. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that, like the whole website thing, I think you're totally right about, do you like that that can make or break a church right now? Like for all purposes, the whole website for a church thing is relatively new in the last, what, probably, probably 10 years 10, that the majority yeah. of churches have actually had a website, Yeah, let yeah. alone a good one. And like, I agree that church clarity is good. Like, I do think a church should be very clear about its beliefs. So I think that if they have a website, it should be pretty clear, even if it's not like a good website, quote unquote. But like... I'm not going to lie. It feels weird to me when a church has a really excellent website that is, that like feels producty. Like it feels like an e-commerce website, mm. but Ooh, yeah. I also like your point, Emily, about like, or even Steven, your point about like design, like it should be good. It should be intentional and like it can be beautiful and it can be like well-purposed. Right. So I don't know. Like it's kind of complicated for me. It is complicated. And I think that right there reminds me of the work like as a pastor that I strive for is if it is complicated, then it's all the it's it's worth it even more because I don't want to send the wrong message. Like I don't want to come across as flashy mm. or unintentional with the work that Cody United Methodist Church does. You know, like I've noticed like our some of our pictures on our church website are so old. And for a while, like even on our church website, they hadn't even removed the previous pastor's picture yet. Like they had Oops. my name up there, but her picture. And, you know, finally, I think it was one day my secretary was like, oh, my gosh, I was uploading something on the website. And I just realized that your picture's not up there yet. So we need a picture of you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of laugh. But if someone was to Google and they search and they see Pastor Emily Reddinghouse, but it's not my face. so that would throw a kind of curveball message because they come into the office and they see me and it's not the person that they saw on the website. They're going to have mixed messages Mm. of, oh, who is it I'm really talking to? Who is Pastor Emily? Mm. There's just things that we need to be intentional with when it comes to our presence and when it comes to our technological presence. And we don't really think about that in church, I think, sometimes. And then you have pastors on social media. (laughs) yeah preachers and sneakers yeah pastor influencers yeah i mean emily i like your point about like sometimes churches are like caught in the algorithm and like sometimes that can be really good like if that's like if someone's search results or like social media feed is like exactly what they want but then other times like that does get into like weird territory like a pastor getting millions of followers Hmm. or yeah or a worship leader getting know. millions of followers and conducting anti-protests yeah. in uh, the <laughs> midst of a global pandemic. Hey. Hey. But like, <laughs> I don't know. As important as I think it is for churches to participate. Actually, maybe this is a good point. I was going to say, like, I think it, I do think it is important for churches to participate in the current times. Like, I don't necessarily think it's wrong for a church to have a TikTok or an Instagram or for the pastor mm. to participate in the digital sphere. Like we kind of hint at it in our intro that like 
Christianity is somehow being changed in this modern digital world. And like, it remains to be seen, like what's going to happen and like how we will evolve. Yeah. But I do think it's really interesting to trace like the relationship between Christianity, especially, and the development of like newer technology, like whether it's printing press or like Zoom, like that's wild. So Josh, is this, how is this influencing your choice to go or to not go to church lately? Mm. I can buy you time and tell you my answer because I like yeah, asking, let me hear your answer. I like asking I questions hear. that I can answer myself. Hey, that's the secret. Um, that is the secret. Yeah. So for me, the, the way I'm kind of like searching for a church, if you will, is I'm actually looking for something that looks a lot more like Emily's church, which we've been hinting for a while. Like I, I feel like I'm just about to become Methodist if I'm honest, but yes, become a Methodist. (laughs) I'm, I'm looking for a church that actually does lay out some space for literal eating together. Like I valued so much seeing the new, uh, kitchen that Emily's church put in and like the dining space available for people to literally just enjoy a meal together as the church. Right. I also look for churches that uh, do a lot more with the physicality of sacraments. So things of like celebrating baptisms or participating in Eucharist together. Because in my mind, like I'm looking for the things that engage my body and engage a sense of community. Like if I'm looking for a church now, I'm looking for a church where I can have an actual relationship with the pastor who preaches and does visitation and does counseling and all this as a well-rounded figure rather than the celebrity guy who like gives the Ted talk every week, because I can have a relationship with Emily who I see up there, but I also see her in my living room. And that, that I think is something that's lost with the broadcast technology that modern churches are using because they probably said the same thing about radio and like, now look at us, we're podcasting that that's very true. That is very true. And yet we are still trying to open up what, what is like a digital space to get like get to know us have personal interaction with us and like i i think as as much as i want to as much as i'm coming across as the guy who's like it's not real church unless it's like real in person all together kind of thing i think mm. the internet is becoming more real life every day and we can't like the line between quote unquote real life and digital life just is increasingly blurry and like I, I don't know, John Piper would disagree with that. He would say fantasy is the same as the real thing. So he should be totally fine with Zoom church. Yeah, all in yeah, for I it. I think, yeah. All in for it, man. Um, <laughs> gosh. Um, because like, I, you know, like one of my favorite podcasts is uh, Trends Regrets Snoopy Regret, or Presents the Bible. And mm. they make it a fantastic podcast that is like a deep dive Bible study that I can enjoy at any time. And I'm in their Discord now where I get to participate with other people who wanted to be part of the the Patreon community there. So like I'm in that discord and I participate in the same way I'm in our Ravel discord and I participate and I can, I can get the kick-ass sermons from whoever I want from anywhere in the world. If they have an RSS feed that publishes to Apple podcasts. So like if the sermon is the thing, like I know I can get a sermon anywhere. So what I'm really looking for in a church now is something Eucharistic, something sacramental, something that's about eating together, fellowshipping together. And like, you know, as, as traditional or as, as, uh, I guess corny as that 
sounds like that's what I want from church right now because I can get the sermon wherever I want it. Mm-hmm. But that puts that that betrays my value and like I'd I'd rather have a 15 minute homily from the pastor and spend more time praying, chanting, singing hymns or whatever. How, however you want to frame that. It's like I I I just don't think the church should be about the sermon anymore. And if I really want a sermon, I know where I can get one on the internet. Amen. Here's a thought that Stephen, you kind of hinted at a little bit about like architecture. Like the literal building is totally a technology. And I would argue has totally aided in the growth of religion. Like I feel like there's plenty of people who like to hearken back to the early church in the book of Acts or like uh, people now continuing the tradition of doing house churches and not being restricted to just like one building, but it's more people centric, or at least that's the idea. And I think that's kind of interesting. Like in some ways, the digital space can transcend church exiting the building because you're not just restricted to one geographical location. Mm, and I think that I like a lot that. of different traditions like talking about stuff like that. So like if the digital space is the answer to the church not being the building, mm, mm-hmm. that could potentially be a solution we see in our generation. That's valid. Oh, man. How wild would that be? The abolition of church buildings? Can you imagine? Save a hell of like, a lot if? of money, wouldn't it? What if? Yeah, it would. Yes, it yeah. would. You wouldn't have to build a multi-thousand dollar kitchen to use a couple times a month. You could just go over to each other's houses like yeah. after getting off a of Discord or something. I don't know. Well, if you think about it, it would be going, at least the Methodists would be going back to their roots where it would be meeting in houses and mm. that'd be kind of dope. That, hmm. that would be kind of dope. And it could be facilitated by even a podcast or a yeah. YouTube video or a VR experience. Yeah, who... Who would have thought? Lots to think about, actually. Because I also think about how the building um, gets to become like the de facto home base. And, yeah, you know, like, I feel like the message I always had, you know, at my last church and at my first church, because really in the scope of my life, I've been to, I've attended and been members of two churches total. But the language was always... We collect ourselves once a week on Sunday morning so that we can go out and be the church the rest of the six days of the week, you know, and mm-hmm. part of me would love a reframe that says, no, we actually use this building as a way to get like invite people into our literal tables with our mm-hmm. kitchen that makes delicious food, you know, like instead of mm-hmm. being the thing where it's like, all right, home base, like we're going to sing some songs together. We're going to get all excited. We're going to have someone give us a uh, a hype hype speech, you know. It's like yeah, get the coach slash pastor, get us riled up so that we go out, <laughs> so we can go out and Game get, day. get Sunday brunch at Cracker Barrel, you know. Like instead of it's like it's home base and we go out. If if the fundamental reframe happened of the church is a place to invite people in and that inform the way you craft the literal building, I think that's huge. I that, That's why I love Emily's church so much is like getting the tour of that place. I was like, yeah, I can tell what they value. I can tell what they appreciate. Like COVID or not, you know, mm, something mm-hmm. about that kitchen, something about that dining room told me that the, the, these people value the space enough 
to not use this as overflow space or like widen the church so that you can get more pews in there, you know, like, Mm, no, this mm -hmm. is the dining room and that's set aside to be the dining room. And that's, that's how it's going to stay. You know, us Methodists really value food. So we really need that space. But that's Mm. the thing though, is like, that's that, that is the Eucharist meal. Like whatever Mm -hmm. wafer you have or grape juice or whatever, because you Methodists invented Welch's grape juice, apparently. Yes, we did. Um, We did. Like whatever that is, you call that Eucharist because that's like the thing you do in church. But the Eucharist meal is the literal spending of time together as a community with food that you serve each other, you know? Josh, I really appreciate this conversation about technology. I think it's one of those topics that it's easy for churches to just shrug off as, oh, we don't need it. We've done things this way for so long. But it's also one of those topics where people are like, oh, we need to jump on board and we need to have the newest, flashiest, fanciest AC, DC, whatever, you know, like (laughs) it's just it's one of those hit or miss topics in church that yeah is important to have so i'm really i'm really glad that you brought it up i also really appreciate you keeping me honest and pointing out all the hypocrisy of saying all this about my my not being a fan of <laughs> yes. technology in church as i podcast yes. with my friends <laughs> that's right i can appreciate okay the only other thing i've thought of i know we're kind of wrapping up to a close but i keep thinking about how there are literally companies dedicated to church technology right now like there's Two pretty big ones right now called PushPay and Tithely. And then there's another one that isn't just strictly churches, but it's like nonprofit donations in mm-hmm. general. I can't remember that mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. But like those two specifically are mostly geared towards churches and like acquiring That's churches right. as clients and literally profiting off of them because they're like processing like their donations. Mm-hmm. But then also providing some resources. Like I don't know if that's one of the ones that your church uses, Emily, but you were talking about like like also like uh, uh, like management of like members and like uh, mm. like different order type things. It's called a church track. It's oh, really I actually don't cool. know that one. Mm. Or like yeah. there's planning center. Like planning center is planning mostly center. geared towards mm-hmm. churches. And like there's apps out there that are like whole companies. Yep. And I don't know why, because I don't know why this doesn't sit well with me. Because like churches obviously like have to pay companies for things all the time, like electricity companies, contractors, plumbers, like those people also have to make a profit to like pay themselves. Yeah. And I don't know why it sits so weirdly with me that there are church tech companies that are for-profit institutions, Mm. like just only trying to target these nonprofit religious institutions. Mm. And I I don't know why that feels weird to me. Well, maybe it's because those other products that you were talking about, like electrical, plumbing, like there aren't companies that are geared specifically towards nonprofits and churches. Oof. Like mm. there's no plumber. Oh, yeah. There's no plumber specifically for a church. I'm only um, a church plumber. Counterpoint, right, which, <laughs> there is explicitly a Christian disaster uh, restoration company in Billings, Montana. Mm, really? Yeah. That is true. Okay. I guess in some ways it's a market thing, right? Like yeah. there's more is, churches yeah. in Billings. It's a signal like a, to your, yeah, to your market. We've to the people it's them who would being be able to that. say like we've cleaned churches. We know what you care about. We know churches, and right? Because there are things in churches that other buildings don't have, like pews, like a, yeah, like, and the upholstery on a pew is expensive. 
carpets in a church are expensive because they're huge spaces that aren't like any other building. Mm -hmm. Those weird chairs that every church has, but you never see anywhere else. Like someone has to make those. Those metal frame with the cushion that's stacked together and have the little hooks that keep Mm -hmm. them together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very so I guess in some ways that makes sense. And like in the digital space, obviously the market is way bigger. Like you can, every church has a website now. You can literally reach every church basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I get how it develops, but maybe it's like the old cranky man in me. That's Josh. Like, I don't know why does it need to be this way? Josh, there's Christian dating apps, my man. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> oh, we didn't even, we didn't even talk about like, that. That feels kind of weird too. <laughs> No, is it though? It's just like you're going to a place where you know that there's at least going to be a common, like if you're single looking for someone to date and it literally is the most important thing to you that you date another Christian. Mm, yeah. Why is it that weird? They're just that they're, they are the target audience of someone who did the market research to know this would make money. So kudos, to which them. is the thing, yeah. Josh, a while ago, you said something about like, churches having a mindset of like especially the traditional ones that haven't updated like the church of christ not adding music just because it's part of the tradition and like we have to keep putting Uh out the same product because people know what our product is i would argue that uh, i don't think churches were thinking in terms of product until the enlightenment and until like real capitalism exploded as an Mm. economic solution yeah like i don't think the catholic church of the 200s was thinking about like we are giving the masses a product. I would agree. That's a yeah. very product is a very sticky yeah, word. Yeah, but they were thinking about consistency. That is true also. Yeah, I I think so, but like you know, I mean some people could argue that framing it in terms of product is the best way to serve the people who want the thing. That is, yeah. But I don't know. I feel skeptical of that, but I don't really have a counterpoint. I just like I feel yucked out by the use of product when it comes to the Sunday morning church thing. Oh, we know how you feel about wor- language, uh, words around that in church, definitely. And I think product is one of those. Oh, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. Huh. Well, we have a product. It's called Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Um subtle, <laughs> No, the podcast is the product, right? The podcast is the main thing. Yeah, we have we have tertiary, we have add-ons the- um that you can pay for, you know, yeah. enhance your Ravel experience. <laughs> What's the product of the church? Is it the service? Yes. Or is it the building? Is it? Do you think it should be or do you think that's what it is? I don't think it should be. It just that's what it is. Oh. I mean, you literally produce a service. Like it's a yeah. production, like we it talked is. about on Kevin's episode. It is. Absolutely. Is that the main product? No. What's the main product? Jesus. <laughs> My Sunday school answer came out. Jesus, it's Jesus. <laughs> the real product is a relationship. That's what we're after. I caught myself saying that to my wife earlier today. <laughs> I'm dying. That literal sentence. You should say that to your wife. And I, Dixie, this is not a religion. No, we're in a relationship. Yeah. Oh, but I, I said it. I said it with the utmost sincerity too. No, um, of course you did. And I like I heard I heard myself say it. Then I was like, ew, ew, you should feel gross. You should. Yeah, well, absolutely. Anyway, well, thanks for thinking about this with me. Yeah. I, and this is a I think it's an interesting like relationship to interrogate. And mm-hmm. I know oh, we didn't even yeah. like breach 
the tip of the iceberg on some of the different subtopics, but yeah, I think it's fascinating. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're listening, thank you for collecting yourself around this Wednesday morning. Um, now let's go out and be the Ravel community for the next six days. <laughs> Is that our benediction? Um, no. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our main product of the podcast. If you want side projects and side uh, products, we have patreon.com slash RavelPod where you can join a community on Discord and Instagram go. and Twitter. Look at all this tech that we're involved oh, in. So much tech. If you really want us to become the first Christian slash former Christian, ex-Christian, no, mm. deconstruction, raveling Christian podcast, if you want us to be the first of those <laughs> To be in the metaverse, I'll go support us on Patreon. We'll just there like, you go. we'll yeah, get go. in it. We'll do it. And much in the same way that early Christians would uh, would wear pieces with the the Jesus fish or the cross, um, you could get a sticker of ours on the Highline website if you wanted to and rep the uh, the holy symbol of Ravel. Um, Is that real? I feel like that's an urban legend. Have, do we actually know if they did that? To be perfectly Ooh. clear, the stickers are real and you can buy them on the, on the merch no. store. <laughs> okay. Nice. Okay. This is a real product, a physical product we have, because everything else is on the metaverse already, or at least on the internet. What's the Thank difference? You. I'm so annoyed with the Zucks. Like, the metaverse is somehow something different than the internet. What the internet already is? What? Sorry, uh, Josh. I don't On know about the note. fish. I don't know about the fish. Yeah, we're spiraling here. I don't know. No, about no, the it fish. could work. No, think about it. If uh, you're just like floating around in the metaverse and you're like going up to someone and they're like just whatever they are, like a shark or like a like a shark human centaur kind of looking thing. Like you're, just, they're just like mm. a wild thing that like doesn't exist. And you're like, hmm, I don't know if they're a Christian or not. You can just draw your like half fish in the sand in the metaverse digitally mm. and discover if they are. Yeah. Okay. It's foolproof. You it's foolproof. Yeah, you too. It's a good signal. Are killing me here. Yeah. Come on. Symbols. <laughs> the symbols. Wow. We really did not set you up for this, Emily, but. Uh, no, yeah, we did not. I'm sorry. This? <laughs> Whether you access church at the click of a button or opening a door, the use of technology and the relationship of technology in religion is complicated and messy, um, but it's something that is worth exploring. And we can look at the hindrances and the growths, um, but overall, it is a topic that is definitely one worth raveling out together. Hey gang, Keller Paulson here. I know what you're thinking. What's going on? Who is this guy? Am I right? Well, I'm the host of Keller's Couch. Now, Keller's Couch is an interview podcast where I, Keller Paulson, interview people I find interesting that are doing cool things in the community. But it's not just that. My friends at Slapstick Improv and myself, we also do some improv comedy and sketch comedy every other episode. So, if this tickles your fancy, why don't you scoot on down? 
Papa Squat on Keller's Couch. Bye. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.